Hi, friends. How are we doing? Thank you for coming to church this morning. Today we continue a six-week series we're calling Overflowing Hope. Friends, for the last six months, I've read and reread every passage in the Bible that says anything about hope, how to get it, where to get it, what it feels like when we find it, how it hurts when we don't. And friends, I'm convinced hope is essential for the human heart. Hope is the fuel we need in life in order to keep going, keep growing, keep playing, keep planning, keep planning. Hope keeps hoping when optimism withers and wastes away. But friends, what if there is no hope? What if you've lost your hope? See, as we talk about hope, I think we need to talk about disappointment. I think we need to talk about grief. I think we need to talk about what happens to hope when life gets hard, and it shouldn't be hard, and God's not saying why it's hard. Some of you are all too familiar with heartache. You know what it's like to be flattened by the feeling of disappointment and disillusionment. You've been let go. You've been dumped. You've been rejected, overlooked, and ignored. Proverbs thirteen twelve observes, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. This is a proverb about disappointment. But, but not the disappointment you get when they're out of your favorite flavor of ice cream. Have you ever wanted something so badly, so desperately, that it constantly consumed your thoughts? Everywhere you go, you breathe a prayer. Oh God, God, please. But when God doesn't respond how you want him to respond, your heart gets sick. Your soul is weakened. In the Hebrew understanding, the heart is something more than your feelings. It's the core of who you are. It's your mind, your emotions, your intentions. See, the ancient sages who wrote the Proverbs offer insight on what today we'd call psychology. They, they thought about how the human heart works. They, they observed how it reacts to problems and pain and success and suffering. Proverbs 17, verse 22, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. A broken heart can even have physiological consequences. Anyone who struggled with depression could tell you the impact it had on their energy, the price their body paid. Proverbs 14, 13, even in laughter, the heart may ache and rejoicing may end in grief. Your peers at work, your friend in a small group may be battling heartache, but covering it up with a smile. Proverbs eighteen fourteen: the human spirit can endure in sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. Many underestimate the influence of your inner life. A, a strong will has raised countless people from their deathbeds. But as resilient as one's spirit may be, if that same spirit is broken, if that same spirit is crushed, what once had the power to lift a heavy burden now itself becomes the crushing force that person must bear. Now today, I want to talk to you about a specific kind of helplessness and hopelessness. I want to talk about the despondence and despair that comes after you've blown it big. After you've disappointed God and broken the hearts of the people who believed in you. 
And then I want to show you where you can find hope again. Before I do, let's ask for God's help. Will you pray with me? Lord, whether we need this message today or we'll need it tomorrow, I pray everybody finds hope in you during our time together. And I pray especially for the individual who's failed and fumbled and fouled up royally. I know the last thing they need today is to come to church and receive a heaping dose of shame and guilt to add to their already overflowing sense of not being good enough, holy enough, or whole enough. No, here's my prayer for that person. As they bring to you their regret and remorse, may they find hope and healing in your character. We pray this in the name of King Jesus, who surprises us with his love and compassion. Amen. This week, I read an article from CNN that grabbed my attention. In March 2021, in a suburb of Boston, Thomas Randall, age 71, lay dying of lung cancer. His daughter Ashley sat at his bedside, doing what her father loved to do, watching a procedural crime drama. But as they watched the episode together, her father announced... My name is not Thomas Randall. I changed my name when I moved here. You can't tell anybody because they're probably still looking for me and I don't want to talk about it. Ashley assumed her father just told her the worst dad joke ever. But something told her he was telling the truth. So the next day, she pressed him on the matter and he revealed his real name, which he claimed to be... Theodore Conrad but he begged his daughter not to investigate any further she didn't listen alone in her childhood bedroom his sleepless daughter googled the words Ted Conrad missing and she discovered hundreds and hundreds of articles from 50 years earlier about a 20 year old from Cleveland who robbed an Ohio bank of $215,000 Ashley now in her 40s knew her father as a car salesman who adored his wife and only child. He took her to school every day. He cheered her on at her soccer games. He wore khaki pants and donated to local police charities. But 50 years ago, 20-year-old Ted Conrad got a job as a vault teller at Society National Bank in Cleveland. At the end of a Friday, over his birthday weekend, inspired by his favorite movie, Steve McQueen's The Thomas Crown Affair, Conrad quietly crammed $215,000 of cash into a paper bag and boarded a plane to no one knows where, pulling off one of the largest heists in Ohio's history, the equivalent of $1.8 million in today's economy. Two days after the robbery, the Apollo 11 mission brought the first humans to the moon's surface, hogging the headlines and aiding Conrad's escape from justice. Some compared his heist to the infamous D.B. Cooper, who parachuted out of a plane over the Pacific Northwest in 1971 with $200,000 in cash, never to be seen again. But according to the CNN article, Conrad's face was plastered on wanted posters around the country. The case was featured on America's Most Wanted and Unsolved Mysteries. 
And a pair of father and son U.S. Marshals made it their life's work to capture the man. They never caught him. Thomas Randall died two months after his deathbed confession. Now, what prompted Randall to tell the truth? What do you think was going through his mind when he confessed his crime to his daughter 52 years after the offense? Ted Conrad built a good life on a big lie. I can only imagine the searing sense of shame that haunted him year after year. I can only imagine the constant experience of dread of being found out and exposed. Well, reading his story made me think about this weekend's message. See, this is a message for people with red on their ledger. This is a message for people with a closet full of condemnation they'd rather not open. Thank you very much. And it's a message for people whose closet doors burst open. It's a message for people who have been exposed and unmasked. It's a message for people who are paying the price for their indiscretion, their indignity, their their iniquity. My friend, if you have blown it and you've known it, if you are sickened with your sin and shame and you've lost hope that you'll ever fully recover, then this is your message. And my friend, I promise you, I will not disgrace you any further today. You've probably done plenty of that yourself. But neither will I merely comfort you. No, I'm going to give you something to do. Here it is. I want you to look for his love. I want you to look for God's love in your life today. Now that may be hard to do if you feel unlovable. Doing so may stir up feelings of fear because what if you look for God's love and can't find it? Dear friend, I'm going to encourage you to find the faith to look anyway. And and to help us look, I want to take you to an Old Testament book you may have never read. It's called Lamentations. Now, Lamentations may be the last book you'd expect in a series on hope. And that's all the more true if you know its historical context. You see, Lamentations is a lament over the fall of Jerusalem. Here's the backstory. God's people blew it big. Not once, but many times over a long period of time. God sent prophet after prophet to warn them. He gave them chance after chance to change. But the people stubbornly dug in their heels in opposition. And I understand they weren't guilty of committing minuscule peccadilloes. They were hurting people. They were perpetrators of injustice. So the judgment of God finally came in the form of the armies of Babylon who held the capital city under siege for two years before breaching its walls, slaughtering many of the people and exiling many of the elite. Now, if you're wondering, I do not intend to make any parallels between this passage and what's happened over the last two months in Israel and Gaza. Friends, we plan to teach this message before the events of October 7. Yes, I think it's essential we we bring the Bible to bear on the geopolitical events of our world, but today I intend to bring the Bible to bear on the events of my life and your life first. Are you with me? The, The writer or writers of Lamentations bemoan the consequences of the stubborn stupidity of the people of God. Now, 
as they describe their suffering in this book, they acknowledge that suffering is well-deserved. But, but they hope for a hope that will one day be redeemed and restored. Interestingly, Lamentations is a brilliant piece of ancient literature. May, may I nerd out on you for a moment? We, we, we can't see this in our English translations, but Lamentations is a series of five poems in the form of an acrostic, meaning the first word of a stanza follows the 22-letter Hebrew alphabet. Aleph, Bet, Gemel, Dalet. A, B, C, D. The, the third poem in chapter three brings builds to a climax with the beginning of all three lines of each stanza following the alphabet. A, 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 B, 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 C, C, C. The fifth lament in chapter 5 follows the same 22-line construction, but it doesn't use an orderly acrostic structure, thus mirroring the disorder and destruction of the holy city. It's a cool piece of poetry, but it's painful to read. Nevertheless, I want to read a few stanzas of this poem to you. We'll pick up toward the beginning of chapter 3, the third lament, as it leads towards the poem's climax. The poet writes in verse 13, he pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. First of all, who's the he? God. Now, unlike some laments in the Bible, while our poet identifies God as the primary actor here, the poet's primary emotion is not anger. He knows they got their comeuppance. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. This line reminds me of the wisdom of French thinker and philosopher, Simone Veil. She said, there are two things that pierce the human heart. One is beauty. The other is affliction. You know, sometimes the only way God's going to get through to us is through pain. Now hear me, that's not to say all pain is punishment. Of course not. But, but sometimes God uses it to get our attention. C.S. Lewis famously maintained, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. The, the poet's lament continues in the next verse. He says, I became the laughing stock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. You know, to my knowledge... Nobody's ever written a song about me. But it sounds like a nice sentiment. I'd like a famous pop star to write a song about me. Except Taylor Swift. (laughs) Now I have a deep admiration for Taylor Swift. She was just named Time's Person of the Year. We're all living in Taylor's world. We should thank her for it and just get used to it, okay? That being said, I don't want Taylor Swift to write a song about me. That probably won't go well for me. If you know her catalog of tunes, you know what I mean. You see, the poet here groans as his shame has gone public in the form of songs. Now, for some, shame makes us so sick we can't eat. For others, shame makes us so inconsolable we can't stop eating. The poet describes his diet in detail in verse 15. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. The poet feasts each day on the pungent and the unpalatable. Enter the metaphor. He experiences no nourishment. Nothing refreshes his body or soul. 
The meal plan gets worse in the next stanza, verse 16. He's broken my teeth with gravel. He's trampled me in the dust. Picture the poet chewing a mouthful of rocks as he's pummeled into the pavement. He grouses, I've been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is. Literally, he says, my soul has been rejected from shalom. He's been banished from the presence of peace. He says, literally, I've forgotten what good is. If you wished him a good day, he wouldn't even know what one looks like anymore. Thus, our poet concludes, so I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. Old Testament scholar Ian Prevan identifies this verse as the lowest point in the entire poem, and it's a dark poem. It's the first time we've seen the word hope in these verses, but it's only mentioned because it's MIA. Here's the passage we just read in Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the message. He says, He shot me in the stomach with arrows from his quiver. Everyone took me for a joke, made me the butt of their mocking balance. He forced rotten, stinking food down my throat, bloated me with vile drinks, He ground my face into the gravel. He pounded me into the mud. I gave up on life altogether. I've forgotten what the good life is like. I said to myself, this is it. I'm finished. God is a lost cause. Now here we are in a series about hope, in a message about hope, looking at a verse about no hope. And when you've blown it big, it may feel like there's no hope. Maybe your marriage is broken because you broke it with your selfishness or stubbornness or criticism or defensiveness. Maybe your relationship with your son or daughter is withered away because you withheld your love from them or didn't withhold your anger from them. Maybe in your foolishness you you lost your career, you squandered your nest egg, you tossed your dream into the dumpster. If that's you, it may feel like there's no hope. And maybe in one sense there is no hope. Maybe it's too late. The fact of the matter is there are consequences to our actions. Some mistakes can't be papered over. Some wrongs can't be righted. No matter how much you want to right them. But dear friend, even in such circumstances, I want to encourage you to look for his love. Look for signs of God's love in your life no matter how big a mess you made. Look for his love even in the consequences. Look, here's the truth. Sometimes God in his grace lets us get away with stuff. Am I right? And sometimes God in his grace lets us experience the consequences of our actions. That's his grace too. You see, he wants us to stop hurting people. He wants us to stop hurting ourselves. And when a gentle nudge doesn't work, God, in his grace, may use a little more force. But as I read this poem, I almost get the sense that the poet is kicking himself in condemnation. He says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. Now in Hebrew, the words remember and forget don't usually mean what we mean in English when we say remember and forget. 
Remembering in Hebrew is not something that happens by accident. It happens by deliberation. The poet continually here focuses his mind on his misery and on his mistakes. He contends, I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. In Hebrew, sorry for this, the infinite absolute precedes the finite verb, meaning literally, the the poet says, I remember my misery and my mistakes. I remember, remember them. That's how much I remember them. He says, my soul is bent over in humiliation as he rubs his nose in his transgression. He's sickened by his sin. He finds his stubborn rebellion revolting. He's broken and beyond mending. Now we live in a broken world. Some of that brokenness comes as a result of being surrounded by broken people. Some of that brokenness comes from the limits of frailty and fragility of us as humans. You may see me hobbling around a bit today. They tell me it's because I have a stress fracture just below my kneecap. Yeah, I got that from either kickboxing or walking. I'll let those of you who know me discern which is more likely. You know you're getting old when just walking on a flat surface does that kind of damage. The fragility of humankind. But but the book of Lamentations and so much of life reminds us that much of life's brokenness comes because we broke it ourselves. Now if you, like our poet, are shaming yourself for what you've done or what you didn't do, well, I'm going to challenge you to do something else. I'm going to challenge you in this moment to look for his love. Hear me, it probably won't be enough to tell yourself you're lovable. You won't believe you. Instead, take your eyes off of you and put them onto him. That's what our poet does in the next verse. And honestly, it comes out of nowhere. Verse 21, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Okay, here he uses the Hebrew word shuv. In its most basic sense, it means to turn. It says he turns his heart and mind. Okay, he turns it away from his sin and shame and onto something else. And look at the result. Hope. Now for the love of all that is good and righteous, this broken bloke's found hope. How? In light of his aforementioned despair and he was in a dark place, where exactly did he direct his heart and mind to see hope? The answer is in the character of God himself. Verse 22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. Hmm. Friends, this might be the most important verse in the book. In fact, if you look at the poem as a whole, we find it smack dab in the middle of the poem which I think is a rather creative way to communicate a theological truth. And our English word love, here we find the Hebrew word chesed. Chesed is one of the most important words of the Bible. It's loaded with meaning. It's translated with such words as grace, loyalty, loving kindness, faithfulness, goodness, steadfast love. Chesed describes the unfailing, unceasing love of God, a love that's committed and faithful, even when our love is fickle and unfaithful. It's an unceasing, sticky love that that sticks to us 
when we don't stick to him. And, and here we find it in its rarer plural form, which means the poet is not simply referring to God's love in general, but his specific acts of love in particular. Friends, that's why I'm calling you to look for his love. Look for his love in the specific acts that he does in your life. See, when your character fails, God's character doesn't. And you can bank on it. But you might need to look for it. See, shame is a way of clouding our vision. So, like our poet, you've got to get deliberate about spotting it. You've got to turn your heart and your mind to find it. And you've got to look for it in unexpected places. Sure, I think you'll find it in the Bible. But you may need to look outside the Bible too. I found the Bible can be hard to read when you're disgusted with yourself. So search for him in the world around you. Maybe you'll see God's love in nature. Is that you? Hey, it's true. The creator reveals his character in his creation. Maybe you need to go stare at a mountain. Maybe you need to go ski down a mountain. Maybe you could see God's love above and around you. But, but everybody's different. May I tell you a little truth about myself? Brace yourself, you're not going to like this. I, I live in one of the most beautiful places on the planet. And I don't give a flying flip about nature. No, really? I don't care, it doesn't do anything for me. Hey, maybe it's my color blindness. People ask, Troy, did you see the fall colors? Did you love the fall colors? No, I didn't see the fall colors. And I didn't see God's love in the fall colors. I saw work in the fall colors as those colorful leaves turned gray and died and fell to the earth for me to clean up. That's what I saw. Look, I don't know why. Nature doesn't do it for me like it does for so many of you. But but do you know where I always see God's love? Snowy. Oh, look. Look, I know I talked about Snowy recently, but I'm talking about him again because this week after a hard day when I doubted my lovableness, I saw God's love for me in my pal Snowy. I found God reveals his unconditional love through the animals who love us. And when I see a soft furry mammal, something grabs my attention. And I know there's good in this world. Look, here's the truth. A lot of guys married or not, they're driving down the road and they all oh, they see a woman jogging or whatever and that gets their eye. You know what gets my eye? Dogs. Did you see that dog? Did you see that dog? Oh, that's me. I was in California last week walking around on a, my favorite walking trail, getting a stress fracture. <laughs> really? And I, over here in this, uh, this, this wonderful little grassy patch, I see a puppy Shiba Anu and a puppy Alaskan Klikai playing together. And I'm like, God is good! <laughs> okay? Yeah. That's me! What is, what is it for you? You know one of the most powerful ways God reveals his love to us? At least to me. It's through music. 
Now look, I'm a musician, at least I used to be a musician, but, but, but you don't have to be a musician for God to reveal his love through music. And I got one for you today. For, for the last two weeks, I've had a song on repeat. Every day, throughout the day. It's a song by Jonathan McReynolds. It's called Abel. It's a simple song. It simply repeats over and over the character attributes of the God who loves me. It's carried me. But friends, honestly, I love music so much, I can find God's love in songs that have nothing to do or directly have anything to say about God. I find God's love in the peaceful melodies of a Mozart piano sonata. I, I find God's love in 80s R&B love songs, especially the sad ones. Look, I'm talking about Quincy Jones' classic, Just Once. Dion Warwick's I'll Never Love This Way Again. It's so sad. And friends, don't get me started on Whitney. There's Whitney Houston's Didn't We Almost Have It All? Or I Have Nothing? Even grown men like Kevin Costner will cry when she sings Dolly's I Will Always Love You, right? See, for me, it points back to, to, to Vale's insight. There are two things that pierce the human heart. One is beauty, the other is affliction. 80s R&B sad songs do both! And even the songs about love's absence reminds me of love's presence and what a gift God's given us with love in general. Now, what's the point of my ridiculous example? It's, it's just you look for his love. Look for it. It'll probably come in a different way to you than it does to me. That's okay. Look for his love. Now, now look back at the poem. In verse 22... The poet claims his compassions never fail. Hmm. Here, compassions translates the Hebrew word uh, rachamim. Now, now originally, the, the root word of rachamim referred to a mother's womb. See, it's the image of a caring mother who loves her child, protects her child, and meets her child's need. And that's the word. Get this. That's the word the Bible uses again and again and again to illustrate how God feels about you. And friends, that's a defining characteristic of him. Think about a good mom who loves her kid, even when her kid poos and spews all over her. For example, my oldest daughter is now an adult, but but this is a photo of Emma Kate when she was one. Rewind 20 years ago, it was January 2004, and this little girl came down with a stomach virus. And I tell you, that month, we, we weathered several days of what must have been the worst sickness in the history of humanity. But there was one moment in particular during those days that I will never forget. See, I, I was holding baby Emma to my chest. And the, the poor little baby just got sick all over her clothes. So for just a few moments... I was holding her in my arms with no clothing and no diaper. Yeah, are you picking up on the ominous foreshadowing? You guessed it. Emma Kate got sick all over me. And when I say she got sick, I mean that sickness launched from every orifice of her little body onto my arms, my hands, my clothes, my face. I had no idea 
that something so small could create so much devastation. And I've never in my life smelled anything more dreadful before or since. That was the day foretold by the prophet Daniel when he writes about the abomination that causes desolation. Now, please note, friends, while I am drenched in defilement, Suzanne is literally curled up on the floor, cackling with laughter. Yeah. But here's the point. As a parent, my compassions didn't fail. And God's compassions won't either. No matter how much you douse him with your poo and your spew. Verse 23 tells us, they, meaning his compassions, are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Oh, friend. They're new every morning. Now, don't be surprised if God's compassion shows up in surprising ways after you've blown it big. Ways you're not expecting. New ways. But, but here's what I promise. I promise you can depend upon his compassion. There, it's coming. He's as dependable, more dependable than Amazon Prime. And that's because of his faithfulness, right? See that word? That means he's reliable. It means he's trustworthy. Here's, friends, here's one of the most important read verses you'll ever read. It's in 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Here's the idea. If we confess our sins, if we own up to our sin, God's character is such that he will forgive us and purify us. See, see, this isn't about your character, it's about his character. Now, with the help of this passage, I want to give you some words to describe God's grace. First, God's grace is consistent. That's what John means when he says God is faithful. It means you can count on him to forgive. You can trust that he's going to forgive. Second, God's grace is right. If it's hard for you to believe that God is this forgiving, I'm telling you, you've got it all backwards. John says that God's forgiveness is just. That means it's fair. It's the right response in light of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. My friends, the God of the Bible is faithful to forgive and there's simply no getting around that. Third, God's grace is constant. The, the tense of John's verb forgive in this passage conveys continuous action. It means he keeps forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and forgiving. Fourth, God's grace is purifying. God's grace is so great, it, do, it doesn't just have the ability to cleanse us from the consequences of sins. It doesn't just have the ability to cleanse us from the shame of sin. It has the ability to cleanse us from sin. Is anybody here sick of sinning? I, I'm sick of hurting people with my sin. I'm sick of making myself miserable. And if that describes you, 
I've got good news. God wants to make you temporarily miserable by trusting him with confession so that you'll stop making so much misery for you and for the people around you. Now maybe you need to take a verse like this about God's love and God's grace and go over it again and again, mull it over until it sinks into your soul and you really believe it applies to you because it does. Look, you do not have to constantly prove yourself to God. God's love is described throughout the Bible. It's unshakable, unflappable, unruly, and untamable. As I said a few moments ago, it sticks to you and you can't get it off. But those of you who have experienced it, you'll never want to shake it off. You'd rather soak in it. I know some of us would rather perform our way out of shame, but you really don't want that kind of life because you'll then just be a slave to your success. You'll be a slave to perfection. Look, and I get it. If you're really talented, you might be able to temporarily perform your way out of shame. You may feel at ease if you perform perfectly. But that sense of peace doesn't last long because you learn quickly. If you want that feeling to last, you've got to keep performing, keep winning, keep working, keep exceeding the expectations of everybody around you. But i got a different idea. Instead of obsessing over making yourself lovable, why not look for his love? Because that, first and foremost, is what makes you lovable. Now, I, I planned to unpack another stanza of this poem. It says a few more important things about hope. But I, I ran out of time as I was writing this message. And I felt like God wanted us to end, end our time together in a different way. And I want to conclude with a song. A song that's probably familiar to most of you. It's called Good, Good Father. I want to sing it because the song refocuses our attention where it should be, on God's character, not ours. And we often encounter difficulty when we consider the image of God as Father. Because honestly, not all of us had good dads who loved us unconditionally with grace and truth. Maybe you never felt good enough for your father's love. And if you never felt good enough for your father's love, you need to hear this. That probably says more about your dad than it says about you. And and hear me, in Jesus, there's grace for your dad too. But I need you to hear something today. We're not talking about your dad. We're talking about your God. And he's a different kind of father. His love is great. His compassion never fails. His mercies arrive new every blooming morning. And that's never changing. His love is stubborn and sticky. So, I want to invite you to stand. Join your hearts with Tim as we sing this song together. I've heard thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard a tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. 
a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Oh, and I've seen many searching for answers. Far and wide, but I know that we're all searching for answers. Only you provide, cause you know just, thank you Jesus, what we need before we say a word. You're a good, good father. Come on church, it's who you are to the kings. It's who you are now. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. And you are perfect in all of your ways. Not like Jesus. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. To us. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. And it's love song. Come on. Undeniable. I can hardly speak. Peace. So unexplainable, I, I can hardly think as you call me, deeper still as you call, deeper still as you call, deeper still into love, love, you're a good Good Father, come on! It's who you are to the King. We sing who you are, yeah. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. Good news. It's who I am, yes, it is who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good Father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. Pray with me. Lord, I pray you would help all of us to look for your love. Pray that especially for my friends who have lost hope in this season. We do live in a broken world. And often it's because we broke it. We've broken ourselves. But in those moments, absolutely we need to take responsibility for what we've done. But rather than rubbing our nose in our sin and our shame. Would you give us the faith to look for your love instead and get our eyes on your character? 
When we sing about you being perfect in all of your ways, some of us have a tendency to, to, to shrink from you because it just reminds us how imperfect we are. But Lord, help us to recognize that you're, you have a perfect love with which you love us. It's perfect. It's unconditional. It's based on who you are, not who we are. Yes, you love us because of us and you love us in spite of us. You just love us. And I pray you'd help that truth sink deep into our souls such that it changes the way we think and feel and live. Now. May we embrace your transforming, sticky love and never, ever shake it off. Lord, I pray for that person here who maybe doesn't know you well. Maybe they've been running from you. Maybe they're watching this online and they've been afraid to turn to you. Lord, make this the Christmas season they turn to you. And receive your love. Give them the faith to receive it with open arms like this. Forgive us, Lord, and cleanse us from our unrighteousness that we might be the people you've called us to be in this world, bringing heaven on earth. That's our prayer, Lord. And we pray it in the name of King Jesus, who is our source of hope. Amen. Amen. You could stay standing. I just want to give you a few assignments for the week, a little homework for you. Here's one of them. Look for his love throughout your day. Look for his love throughout your day. Look for it in unexpected places. Look for it in ways that, that, that might seem commonplace to others. But just take a moment, open your eyes and see them for what they are. There might be reminders of his love for you. Look, here's a second assignment. Ask God to help, help you see his love where you can't see it. Because some of us, are our vision's fogged by, by, by our shame. Ask God to help you see it. See, friends, that's a prayer God would love to answer. He wants you to know how much he loves you. Ask him. Ask him. There's another thing you could do as a little spiritual exercise. Read Lamentations chapter 3 in, in the message paraphrase. You can find it online, Bible app. Look for it in the message paraphrase. And uh, just see what you learn from that. See what jumps off the page. How you can apply it to your life. Add it to your prayers. Don't forget that song I told you about. It's called Abel by Jonathan McReynolds. It, it features uh, the vocal stylings of, of Marvin Winans. Tim and I, were, I, I introduced this song to Tim this week. He said Marvin Winans is his favorite vocalist. I did not know that. I thought it was me. <laughs> He's going to turn on his mic now. I don't know what he's going to say. Oh, he turned it off. He turned it off. <laughs> oh, you got to download this song, okay? And, and true story, Lord willing, um, we're going to introduce it to you next week. Next week, we're going to do something a little different. 
Um, I, as we conclude our, our series on hope, I want to walk you through one of my favorite psalms on hope. And we hope to weave some music in, into the message and, and, and point you in the direction uh, of hope as we conclude that series. Um, hey, if you want something to look at, a YouTube video uh, of the song we just sang, Good, Good Father. Uh, Maverick City just recently released this in the last week or two. And the, the, um, the video features Chandler Moore and our friend KJ Scriven. And so some of you know KJ because he's been here at Capitol a couple times. And so I uh, uh, want to encourage you to download that. It's a good way to, to, to inspire your faith this week. And one more assignment. Why don't you read Chris Tomlin's Good, Good Father to a kid in your life, okay? After that song came out, Tomlin and Pat Barrett um, wrote a, a wonderful little book um, that will remind you who he is, okay? A verse for the week, Lamentations chapter 3. Verses 21 through 23, it gives us a glimpse of the character of the God who loves us fiercely. So that that image that's on the screen here and the graphic I've been showing you all day, both of those will be available on our website to download, so be watching for them. Friends, as always, if if you'd like to receive prayer, you can send us an email, care at capitalchurch.com. That goes especially for those of you who are online. Um, Those of you who are in the building, we'd love to to pray over you before you leave. And so there will be some people here at the front to stick around, ask him to pray for you, and let's see what God does as we, we join our faith together. And this is what I want to pray for all of you. My friend, when, when you find yourself facing your failure, when you find yourself dealing with the consequences of your sin and your shame, instead of worrying about being lovable, may you look for God's love instead. Thanks for coming. Grace and peace.